Welcome to season two of the Sales Competition Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. Our goal for season two is to enable our listeners to make smarter decisions based on real-world data and behavioral psychology. Join us for more holistic conversations and discussion about sales compensation and sales force effectiveness that will improve the lives and careers of both current and future sales comp leaders. I'm your host, Nabil Alazam. Today's guest is Leo Roca, Head of Incentive Design and Governance at Moody's Analytics, a financial intelligence and analytical tools provider helping business leaders make better, faster decisions. Leo is a seasoned incentive compensation leader with a remarkable 15 years of expertise. He has a passion for understanding the impact of incentives on human behavior, recognizing their potential as powerful catalysts for both individual and business success. Join us as we delve into the world of sales compensation, both now and in the future. You're in for a great discussion and one that I thoroughly enjoy. Leo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nabil. Absolutely. Thank you for being on. I think, you know, as I mentioned, it's you have a ton of experience in, in the world of sales comp. And you know, to me, I always like to kick it off with getting to share to the audience how our guests got into the world of sales comp, given it's such a unique space. No one really wakes up and says, I want to be a sales comp professional when they're, you know, in grade school, but uh, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to hear your story of how you got into sales comp. Yeah, sure. I don't know if there's anything too special about it. I'll tell you this. I did not grow up thinking I'd be working in sales comp, right? I didn't even know what sales comp was. I happened to, at the time, still in college, still hadn't graduated college. I got an opportunity to work for a super big company, which was IBM. And I originally from Brazil. So I was in Brazil at that time. And they offered me a job. And I, you know, as a hungry college student, just wanted a job. I said, sure, I'd, be, I'd love to work for you guys. What am I going to do? It's said, well, sales compensation. And I thought, well, okay, that's, that's easy enough, right? Calculating commissions. How hard can that be, right? Just calculation. Simple multiplication. Yeah, that's Super it. Super simple, right? And of course, I had no idea how big of a world sales comp is. Um, so I got into that without really understanding what I was getting into, but you know, looking back, I'm super, super excited to have gotten into that world. And essentially, I think it was interesting because I I had, they needed two things, right? So IBM was expanding their sales comp team at the time, and especially in Brazil. So they're looking for people and they, they were looking for people who could do two things. Number one, they could speak English um, because of the, the global nature of that business and they could do math. Right. And I, okay, I could do both, maybe one better than the other. And I'm not tell, not going to tell you which one, but yeah, I got into that world like that. But what I realized is how, how many things there are in sales comp. So what I was doing at first was just the basic um, sales comp analyst resolving disputes and issues. But that gave me the beginning of understanding how comp works and how complex it can be, right? And how dynamic it is as well. So that's what, that's how I got started. Like you said, it's been over 15 years doing that. And there's a reason I'm I'm still doing it. I feel, yeah. That's, I, that's the second part of the question I would almost say is sales comp is not only it's complex, it's in some ways extremely demanding. And in, some, in, in other ways, it's really a thankless or feels like sometimes a thankless job. You know, if you get comp right, no one's calling their payroll administrator or their payroll team or their sales comp team saying, thank you for my paycheck. It's expected. But if it's if there's anything, any issues, any discrepancies. So to my second part of the question, 
what made you stick around and, and stick in this in this domain? Yeah, it is a thankless job. I've heard that many times. I've said it myself uh, in certain occasions when I felt like I could use a little bit of thanks here. But it is very rewarding. It's a challenging job for sure. But I think it has something that's not every job has, which is it is very, very close to the actual business. And it's it's and if you do it well, you are a part of the conversation, the strategic conversation, the leadership conversation. People listen to you, right? Now you have to build that, right? Trust. It's like coming in, yes, people were double checking my work to make sure I was paying them correctly. But once you build that trust, you do get a seat at the table. And I think that's becoming more and more common, at least in my over the last 15 years, I've seen it, at least in my career, I'm getting that that better seat at the table each time. And it's a function of, I guess, the trust and the ability to deliver consistently. But that's why I hung around. And, and I mentioned to you in the first part of the response, when I started seeing how big of a world it is, I thought of commissions, yeah, it's calculate somebody's pay based on a simple equation, right? Just do some math and that's yeah. it. And then I started understanding, okay, well, you have a planning side, right? With territories and quotas, you have an administration side well, with the execution and paying people. You have the design and you have coverage and you have all these different areas. And I was lucky enough to work for many years for a company that had a very big sales compensation team, which allowed me to navigate from one area to the other. So I thought that was interesting because I was, I've been doing sales comp for a number of years, but it had all these different jobs within sales comp. And they felt like they were very different from each other, right? And close to different parts of the business. You know, when you're doing the coverage model, you really have to understand the role of the seller and how they're pitching the product. When you're talking about the downstream incentives, what behaviors are we driving? What are the, you know, talk about this. It's you have to be an expert in the business if you're going to help the business get to that desired outcome and, and objective. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you a, an interesting side of it. You know, 15 years, it's been 16 years now, actually. At some point during that journey, I started to think, well, maybe I should go and do something else, right? Some different. So I, I tried for about a year or so. I went into finance, right? So I actually took some time off at work, got a, an MBA. I was really interested in the the business side and specialized in finance and went to work for finance. And it was a good experience. But after a year, I just said, hey, you know what? I'm passionate about sales comp. That's what I really want to do. And I think it, it's interesting. You know, it's a career where you can differentiate yourself. Like in a finance organization, I was doing my best, but I was one of many, right? There were a lot of people just like me or in lots more better than me for sure. And in sales comp, it's not that I was better than anybody, but I had built experience. I had learned things that a lot of people don't know. That's why I keep saying they listen to you because you, you, you have an expertise and you have something that adds value to the, the organization very directly. It's very tangible value. And I, I thought that, that I'm really passionate about that. So I made the switch back into sales comp, continued doing different things and learning different things, but I'm very happy I did, I did that. Yeah, no, it, it's, I mean, you're effectively helping the organization manage one of the largest cost centers in the yeah. business. And so it is, I agree, it's a very rewarding space to be in. And, and for me, one of the things that when I started Forma, one of the partners at the management consulting firm that I was at previously had asked me when I was starting Forma, he said, 
are you really sure you want to stick in sales comp for the rest of your life? Do you want to do sales comp for the rest of your life? And I had to think about it for a second. I was like, you know, I'm not sure, you know, why, why you're asking this. And now I look back and I'm like, yeah, because it's a thankless role or has the potential to feel like that, but it truly is extremely rewarding. And the things that you can do and the value that you can bring as a sales comp professional to the business. You said something earlier that was, that was very powerful, which is today it feels like sales comp is being brought to the table more and more and more. And I think it's a great thing. Because at the end of the day, there's so many parts that can be impacted through better coverage, quotas, territories, and ultimately the actual incentives that are driving in it, the behavior of the rep. And if we're brought to the table to have those conversations, it tends to some really great results. So it's great to hear that you're kind of feeling that that is also happening because we're seeing that happen more and more across uh, the industry as well. Yeah, I agree. And I do, I do feel that. And I, I can look back to, you know, just a, a few years ago where we, I think sales comp was a little bit more of a reactive. So, you know, reacting to the business. Okay. There's a business need for something. So let's talk to the sales comp team or this year we're not going to do so well. Let's solve that problem through sales comp, which, you know, is again, another, <laughs> another <Yeah>. problem. <laughs> it's not how I would say you should do it, but happened a lot. And today I feel like we're brought into more, much more into the, into the strategy discussion. Okay. So what's our strategy for next? Which I think it goes back to the core of sales comp, which is tying incentives to the strategy, to the yeah. roles, to our go to market. So that's why I think we have more of a seat at the table because there's a never growing realization that that's how it's supposed to work. I think we have to do still a little bit of our job is still to educate a little bit that here we don't solve any problem through sales comp. Right. It doesn't work well if you try to do that, but we need to align sales comp to the company strategy. And I, I see that happening more for sure. No, 100%. So I'm curious with your 16 years of experience and in this space, what would be, you know, something that you've seen where cross working at brands like the IBMs, the Equifaxes, you know, now movies analytics, where do you see, you know, the biggest impact that sales comp has on driving business results? It's a, it's a very good question, but I think there's one, one thing we should also consider is as I think through those experiences, right? That the sales comp has usually sits in very different places within companies, right? And I'll give you an example. I've worked for companies where I was a part, even in sales comp was part of a broader finance and operations group. And I've worked in companies where it was part of the HR group, right? I've worked in companies where it's part of the sales team. And there's a very, in my view, a very different dynamic depending on where it sits. It can have influence anywhere it does, but I think it's different. It's just different. So as an example, right? I think when you are closer to the HR team, you, you naturally have more of an impact on overall the, the total rewards approach. To people. So sales comp becomes a piece of total rewards, right? And some companies will take that approach. When it sits in a finance, more finance-driven organization, it's more of a, how do we account for this correctly? How do we make sure we're not overspending or allocating our dollars correctly? And in a sales group, it, I guess it becomes more of the, let's get people motivated. Let's just do it and we'll figure it out later. So you, you got to find the balance. So you, I think where we, it's important for us to step in is regardless of where it sits, the value you, you want to try and bring is actually simple, is you want to make sure incentives are aligned to strategy. Keep coming back to that wherever it is. And there will always be this pool of, 
here's where we think your value is, right? And HR is going to think one way and finance is going to think a different way. But I think it, it really comes down to, to the strategy. My perspective is you, we have been able to educate more and provide that more. I think at least I've been trying to do that in my career, right? Where I see today that sales comp is treated as a more of a partner versus a consultant. And I'm not talking about external consulting, but I felt like I was acting very much like a consultant in, in the start of my career where we have a problem, help us fix it. And now it's more like, let's look together at the future of our, of our business and, and work together. So I, I have that view of a more of a partnership today than in the past. Yeah, I agree. I think the element of having the biggest impact by being a strategy partner rather than just the execution side of what a strategy that was designed without the inputs of the sales comp team you know, tends to be the most effective. I think you said something that's very interesting around like the ownership of the different departments. Mm-hmm. There's an element of, there's the ownership and then ultimately the culture of the organization. And I agree, we, we typically, kind of the two polar opposites, I would say it'd be more operationally owned or influenced to sales owned and influenced. And the more the finance or operations kind of has the reins and of governance and, and the process, the more sales is to work within the confines of what the, that team sets is possible or not. At the de- potential detriment of the sales organization, the other side is where sales completely owns it and it's it's completely open. And what we find is in that situation, sometimes, especially finance or the other operational teams own the execution, but the design is set by sales, then the back office team is basically drowning because every exception, every single change, you end up having multiple plans and it's not necessarily designed in a way that's actually systematically the right approach, but you're enabling the sellers to put the motivation in the right way at the, the sales team. And so it's always interesting to see that the drastic, most organizations are, are healthy in between, but yeah. there are, are kind of polar opposites sometimes, and, and it's, it's interesting to see. And I, w- I would just mention one thing there, Nabil. The sales comp team or a sales comp leader will not change the company culture, right? They will not change the operating model right, by, by themselves, right? It's not going to happen. However, I do strongly believe there's a fiduciary responsibility around sales comp, regardless of where you sit or regardless of what the company culture is where you have stakeholders to manage, obviously, but you are advocating for what you think are the right things and what the best practices are within sales comp so that you avoid, or at least you are keeping some guardrails around not pending too much to one side versus the other, right? So I think that's part of the job too. It's not in the job job description, most likely, but it's a part of the day-to-day interactions we have and how we plan is making sure or at least advocating for that as best as we can, right? And, and keeping that balance intact. Yeah, you're spot on with the fiduciary duty. At the end of the day, you are managing the financial investment of that money. And and if you get it wrong, it, it's a very expensive mistake given the, the size of the cost center. So, you know, in, in our past conversations, we've covered and we've talked about the importance of effectively communicating comp. And... I think you said something earlier, it's it's spot on. At a high level, sales comp seems simple and easy to understand. It's the nuances, it's the mechanics, it's the data that make it complex. And that lack of translation sometimes that we see between the comp plans that we design 
and the strategy we design relative to what the sales team understands and is able to track, you know, is a big problem. But I'd love to get your perspective and hear your input on, you know, communication of comp to the selling organization. Yeah, that's, you know, one of the topics I'm most passionate about. I think if we could, if we had to say, okay, there's one thing you need to focus on when it comes to sales comp, I would say communication, right? I can expand on that a little bit, but it all comes back to good communication. I think when we think about communication, it's, and we say, well, sales comp should be simple. It depends on what that means. I, as a someone who designs incentive compensation plans, may think that something I've designed is, is super easy and, and, and simple and easy to understand. That doesn't mean the end user or the recipient of that work is going to think the same, right? Of course, with, with a little bit of experience, you start to see. But here's one, one point that I think, or one thing that sometimes it's a trap that people may fall into. Sometimes you're working, you have very complex plans and a lot of them, and everybody said, well, we should simplify the plans, right? We should simplify comp plans, make them, we don't need as many, that sort of stuff, right? And it's like a cycle, right? You yeah. keep doing that over and over. So just because something is complex and nobody understands and you simplify it doesn't mean that's good communication in itself. So I, as a professional, may think, wow, this is, look how much we've simplified this. This is great. Kudos to us, right? And it's yeah. still this mystery to whoever is is looking at that on the other end. So that's why I think communication plays a part, a very big part is you want to establish a channel of communication. It's not just me, right? Or my team saying, hey, everybody, look, these are the new plans. Look how good they are. They used to be 19 pages long. Now it's only three. That doesn't mean a thing. But what you, what you want to build is that communication channel, right? And that back and forth. So it's almost like when I think about it, you know, when I think about a YouTube, it's like a YouTube channel, right? You want to create something like that. Not, not necessarily, not an actual YouTube channel, but a channel of communication where you're almost saying, you know, what, what all YouTube content creators say, like, like and subscribe, right? Like and subscribe to my channel. That's what I want the salespeople to do is kind of like give their like and subscribe, meaning they're going to go back to it. They're going to get value from it. And I'm going to take feedback. We're going to have a conversation. Right. And that's when I think communication is important is, is you establish that and you make sure it works. Right. Cause otherwise, if you just say you, you want to have a channel and there's nothing happening there, it's not going to do any good. Yeah. Agreed completely. Especially, you know, your point on the simplicity and simplifying, reducing and simplifying with the main objective of simplification doesn't necessarily lead to the right outcomes. Right. I mean, you think about like people in the room, the physicists can come in and articulate these insanely complex concepts to a level where the average person can understand. And yet it doesn't mean that they just simplified it so that we can understand it. They understood it to a level where they could articulate it in a very simple way. And I think, you know, your point on the goal of simplifying is that we get the reps to understand it, but ultimately focus on the communication, the channel. I love that in the sense of how do you create a way to enable you to get them to understand and use that as the objective and how you build towards. And so I'm curious, love to get your input on how, you know, how do you build a strategy and a framework on building that right channel for communication to the, the sales team within your organizations? Yeah. So, you know, 
like in real estate, they have the famous saying, right? The three L's of real estate, location, location, location. So I think the three C's of sales comp is communication, communication, communication. Yeah. Right? There's uh-huh. a lot that goes in addition to that, but it it has to have the good communication. So this concept of, a, of establishing a channel is also related to the concept of creating trust. So I would say, number one, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do that. So we do a lot of work already designing plans, modeling plans, having strategy conversations, distributing plans. That's a lot of work in itself. So I think that's that's part of the reason why a lot of times us sales comp professionals tend to just do the bare minimum communication because you, you go through all that work and it's intense and you have the annual cycle or biannual cycle, depending where you work at. And then it's like, oof, okay, now they're out. Now I can relax, right? There's a little bit of, of that feeling sometimes. That's how it should be. So creating good communication channels is a lot of work. It means you are, again, the concept of channel, right? You are open. There's back and forth. You need to respond when someone reaches out to you, but you also need to provide, right? You need to create. You need to put content out there. So the view I take, if I were to think about how do we go and establish that? Well, let me tell you, actually, let me tell you an interesting story. So a few years ago, I joined a new job and I was... uh, Joining very late in the year, very, very late in the annual cycle where decisions, comp plan decisions had been made for the most part. It was almost execution time. I had no time to do analysis, to provide any, any recommendations. Very minimal, right? It was much more. Let's, let's get this done and think about it later. So there were two approaches I could have taken, right? Okay. Let me just get into it. Full execution mode, heads down. Let's get it done. Or I could look for a place where, where can I still add value? Where I felt there was the gap was really the communications piece. Because the idea was, okay, let's get these out. They're all in the system. Everybody gets their comp plan. New sales year. Let's do it, right? And that's it, right? So my approach is, okay, let's do a strong communication approach here. Meaning, explaining and walking people through their compensation plans. Walking them through the strategy. Why? The changes are what they, what they are. Like if we're having changes, why did we make those changes? Even though I didn't make them <laughs> at that time, right? It wasn't my my work, but it's still, we got to communicate it you well. Have to it. Yeah. And you have to own it. Yeah. And you have to yeah, go trust, to your point. Absolutely. And then one of the key things we did there to kind of establish this channel concept was we want to hear back. Because a lot of times what happens is you communicate the plans you may have like an annual sales kickoff or some meetings, depending on different groups of salespeople. And okay, it's done. It's communicated from me to them. And that's it. And almost and the less think, noise, the better, because then it means right. that there's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you can okay, be very deceiving. Yeah. Correct. Because a lot of times you'll say, okay, time for Q&A. Any questions? Psst, silence, right? Everybody, oh, I'm good. Yeah. And nobody understood anything, right? And then one, two months later, you start getting all the, you know, nobody understands the compliance and they're not doing their job. They're trying to understand the compliance. So that's very common, right? So what, what I did there and have been trying to replicate that uh, ever since is the back and forth. So one specific thing is, okay, we've communicated. Now I want to empower sales managers to be able to respond to their teams when they have questions. So I need to train them. I also want to hear back. So Let's establish ask me anything sessions, right? With a regular cadence. And that, of course, could be every quarter, could be every month, even if needed, right? Yep. But that's the opportunity that we have to 
open that communication channel where they come back to us and you answer all the questions. So how, how do we approach that, right? I can't answer all the questions sales a sales rep may have because those questions could go anywhere, right? It could be from the, why is my payment wrong, right? <laughs> or they think it may be wrong to why is our compensation strategy the way it is? Or what about quotas and why are our quotas set the way that, so it could range. So you have to be prepared for those for those sessions with the right people, right? Yeah. Which a lot of times will like, we'll go beyond the sales comp team. Yeah. So get the right people there, provide the support. And then what you want to do is enable the, and that's why I say it's a lot of work. It's, I want to be accessible. So if someone has a question, they can come to me directly. It's okay, right? It's okay. And, and responsive so that they, that it's a known, reliable way for them yeah. to get those answers. Yes. It, absolutely. And that's all related to uh, sales comp plan deployment in a sense, yeah. right? But there's also another piece of it, which I think is for a good communications program is really the, you want to test that out, right? So one other thing I would recommend is you do kind of a survey, well, a survey to get a sentiment of how are people feeling about their comp plans in that year. And that can be done, you know, a few months after the plans have been sent. So you want to make it easy for them to respond to, and you want to get a sense of, do you feel like you understand your comp plan? Um, do you feel it's motivating? Questions like that, right? It should be something simple and easy for them to do where you're going to yeah. get the responses you want, but you want to get a sentiment. And then more later, a little bit later in the year, I would do a more formal uh, feedback process where we identify the right stakeholders, right? And I want to make sure I have senior leadership, you know, uh, frontline managers, sales reps, good representation across the sales force. And then you have an actual official feedback process where you hope to obtain uh, information to inform on sales comp decisions for the upcoming year. And I think the key there, Nabil, is this is something that gets overlooked sometimes is you, collecting data isn't that hard. What's difficult is responding to that and making sure you capture all those things. Some time ago, I had done a, one of those feedback requests to a lot of people. And of course, we got a lot of answers, which was great. And processing that feedback that means you have to prioritize things and make decisions on, okay, these are areas we're going to focus on. These are good suggestions, but it's not something for this year. Maybe it's something for next year or two years from now. And maybe the third bucket is, okay, these are interesting ideas, but not really applicable to what we're trying to do here. And you have to go back to people so they know. Because if you just collect feedback, thank them for the feedback and never come back, are they going to be interested in doing it again next year? Probably not, right? They'll just say, well, you know, I keep giving my feedback. They don't do anything about it. Or, or worse, it's seen as you actually do counter to what their feedback suggests without explaining the justification or the, the business reason behind it or everything. Yeah. And you touched on an excellent point because execution of this communication strategy needs to be very, very well done because it can backfire, right? It can backfire where... You think you are doing something that's good that people will like to do, but if you don't execute well, they're going to be, might resent it and really think, you know, you are against them, right? Because you are like, example you, you gave is great. Like, you know, it's just not, you're just doing exactly the opposite of what, of what I said, or you just ignored my opinion. Why are, aren't we changing this? I've been saying this for years and nobody listens to me, yeah. that sort of thing. And then, then as you, we, we know, right. Then if someone or a group of people are, starts to start to become dissatisfied, that's contagious, right? You don't want that. And all 
stemming from a good intention of, okay, getting feedback, how could that be a bad thing? It can be if you don't execute well. Yeah. I mean, it's, to your point, if you're going to have a communication strategy, which by the way, I, I like the concept of having communication program as something that you tackle as its own separate things with its principles and foundations and channels and really be thoughtful about it is the more and more I've heard you speak about this, the, the more you know you realize how powerful it is. But that means it's a two-way street. It has to be a two-way street. If you're going to collect all this feedback and, and bring it in, we, we talk about this all the time. When you're rolling out new strategies, when you're making shifts, the bigger of a change it is, the bigger of an organizational impact it's going to have, the more you're going to want to bring in kind of, you know, we think about it as like a sales advisory committee, you know, your champions within the sales team that you can bring in and kind of give in and make aware of things early so that they can then be advocates on your behalf within the rest of the organization. So I'm curious, you know, how do you think about that outbound communication and that part of the, the communication strategy? Yeah, excellent. I, I think I think you mentioned something there with getting the right people on your side. I think it has to do with that, right? Which is, I sometimes call it executive sponsorship. Sometimes I think of the concept of you got to have the buy-in, right? I always think if no buy-in, no win-win, right? It's what that means is somebody's going to, if there's no buy-in, someone's going to be a beneficiary of what you're doing and somebody's going to be the loser. It's like the win-lose, right? So if you want the win-win where everybody wins, the company, the sales team, and our, our really our strategy wins is when you have that buy-in. So it has to start there, right? And, and you have to make sure you have the right folks on your side because they're going to be the champions. It's very hard, well, I'd say impossible, for a sales comp professional to just get everybody in a large sales organization or even a smaller one on board saying that my ideas are great. This is what we should do. And you guys are going to be very successful. No one's going to buy that, right? So you have to start, get those key sponsors on your side and getting them on your side doesn't mean they're always going to agree with your recommendations, right? It's the whole back and forth and the whole fiduciary responsibility saying, why why am I recommending this? I think a lot of times what happens is some of these folks will be, they'll look back to the great things they've done internally and want to continue doing that over and over because it has proven successful over the years. But I think our job is to look ahead and say, okay, it's great. Happy it's worked. Is it still aligned to what the market is doing, to what our competitors are doing? Is it sustainable? right? Can we scale this as we grow? We have to ask all those questions and bring those to the discussion. Otherwise, they're just going to rely on let's work, use what, what has worked. And something you said at the beginning, right? Well, we are looking at the business, like sales cop needs to be understand the business so you can have the, those conversations and get the buy-in. Because if you, if you bring that to the table, that's why you get the buy-in, right? Because it shows you are thinking about the business. You're not just thinking about the sales comp program in itself not a contained piece of, of what we do, but as a whole. And that's, I think, how you how you get that buy-in. Sometimes, of course, yeah, not all your recommendations are going to be accepted. Maybe it's a phased-in approach. Maybe it's just, no, we're never going to do that. Okay, there's culture, there's operating model, there's a bunch of different factors, but you build the trust there, right? And then they're on your side. So you want when you communicate that, they're going to reinforce your message. Yeah, 100%. And I think uh, the point 
you, know, you made on it being something that you're working towards. I mean, in my mind, no different than how the go-to-market motion, you might be looking three, four, five years out. An example is, you know, if you're shifting your pricing strategy, that doesn't happen overnight. If it doesn't happen overnight, it means that as a sales comp team, as the data team that feeds, you know, that's managing the data that feeds into the sales comp process, all of these things need to start being kind of have a project roadmap that's aligned with that bigger, you know, pricing change or whatever it is, the go-to-market strategy shift. And, you know, I think there's an element of having that buy-in to the stepwise movement and change to that bigger objective. It becomes much harder to do it. It's funny. One example I've seen that single-handedly showed the power of kind of what, what you're talking about is I saw a compliant change done where the metric for retention was changed from tracking kind of the, the recurring revenue base at a rep level to tracking a retention bookings quota. So it's a relatively big shift in kind of the metric and the way that the, the, the reps are tracked. And the noise that was generated when that plan was rolled out pre-sales kickoff, and then having seen the CRO present the plan and the reason why that shift was done at the sales kickoff and to hear the noise drop off after was a night and day visualization for me of when at the end of the day at sales comp, we are driving incentives to drive specific types of behavior. But if the sellers don't have buy-in into the behavior and what it's going to take from a sales process perspective to get the outcome that they want, which is the compensation or the reward for that work, it's very hard for them to look at something that is their livelihood. And of course, they're going to be upset or of course, they're going to feel there's something wrong there. You need the buy-in at the level that's a lot goes into getting that outcome from the comp plan. And it's not just the incentive on this piece of paper or the document. It is the sales process, the tools that enable them, the data that the sales reps have access to, and all of it needs to be a cohesive story and, and goes back to your point on communication. It's not just a sales comp team, is maybe what I'm saying, that needs to be a part of this process. And I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on the types of stakeholders that you work with today to kind of have that execution of communication be done the way that you want it to. Yeah. So without naming names, right? But I, I would say I always strive to work with three different let's call it levels of, of leadership, right? The very top letter is sometimes it, of course, depends on, on the business, but it might be your CRO or your heads of sales or really the decision makers around that, right? And that's, I, I would say, is the first where, where I would start. But you also want to get some of the senior leaders that report into those leaders on board as well. And it, of course, varies depending on the organization. You may have Five of those, you may have 50 of those, right? So you might not necessarily have to engage with every single one of them, but you want to know who the right folks are. And that who's going to give you that information is your first person you talk to, the, the, where you started. And then you also want to go down a level there. Maybe it's the frontline sales managers and you want not all of them, but identify the right ones to have this, those conversations. Here's the, the thing where I think gets missed sometimes is no one likes to be surprised. So. I think the example you were giving kind of was a little bit trending yeah. towards that where, you know, we're going to do a sales kickoff or just talk about the complaints and, hey, everybody, everything's changing. And you do that, you know, after the sales year has begun, people are like, what? Like this, that's like the worst thing you can do. So I think the other concept we need to think about here is do it as soon as you can. Not the the actual details around complaints because you don't want to do that too soon. Other people are not going to pay attention, not even going to remember. 
right? The changes, the strategic changes that sometimes are even longer term changes, you want to start those conversations soon and make people aware that change is coming, right? It's not defined, but you're not presenting everything at a single point in time after the sales year has begun. That's done in advance. So you eliminate the concept of being surprised. It's really the no surprise approach with the right folks in play. So it's like going back to that channel concept. You have a channel, but it's not just me leading that channel. Now I have this army of allies really (laughs) replicating that message with their teams and doing it early, right? So when the actual details, after we do all the massive work that, you know, we have to do every year, when that's finalized, regardless of where we landed with details, the overall theme is something that people are already expecting. And then they'll get to know exactly how to operate in that new environment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think this goes back to kind of the two-way communication and kind of feeding early, but it's it's effectively well in advance of a major change like that. You're looking at the data, you're looking at the reasons why we're going to shift from one metric to another and kind of getting that feedback out to the organization sooner is only going to feed back into your strategy and decision-making and make ultimately the decision you go down the path of least resistance and ideal outcome. So I guess from a perspective of and thinking about kind of change management within the organization and and, and what goes in on the communication side. So, we, you know, we talked a lot about kind of the standard rollout of plans, the transition over a year. How do you think about you know, using those communication channels differently when something changes in a bit more of an urgent or or surprise fashion because things happen and and things come up. And how do you think about the communication channel differently in in situations that may have risen without, you know, that notice and that planning that you would have normally had? Yeah, yeah, that, that may happen, right? And things happen in business. The key is transparency. Sometimes the news aren't good, right? The expectation was one, and the actual reaction that we're taking because of something that arose is not going to be as great as they originally expected, right? That's the typical scenario, I think. So you want to be transparent. I think there's no hiding. One, one of the leaders I work with has said something once that I, he has been very specific about something. We were preparing a document to release for about a change. And there was a couple of uh, asterisks. So some of the wording in the document said, you know, this is how it's going to work. And some asterisks, a small print saying, well, it doesn't apply in this case and this and that. And he said, well, I hate that. Don't, don't, let's not do that. Because even though it's accurate information, no one likes to have like the small print, like, are they, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. So instead, let's use this as an opportunity to talk through these asterisks, right? Let's talk through why, the why of why there's exclusions and limitations and this and that, why? I think that's the, the when you think about transparency in those cases, it goes beyond presenting the actual decision or what it's going to look like, but it's walking through the why. Because the question is going to be there. There's no, it could avoid it. You cannot speak to it. People are going to still be asking questions. If there's no response, then that creates doubt, right? And then that creates mistrust. And then again, are they going to be focusing on doing their jobs the best they can, or are they going to be focused on complaining that something's off, something's, this is not right. And then you just lose the power that the incentives program can have 
because people are just focused on other things. They just lose the focus on what really matters. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think you know, a bit of a maybe bit of a side topic or tangent topic off of this. How do you get feedback on how the sales organization is actually feeling or truly how well they understand the changes that we're deploying, whether it's a rollout of the beginning of the year or kind of a change mid-cycle? But in some ways, you could almost think of it as like, you know, can we quiz our sales team to see if they understand it? Because sometimes you get no noise and, and there's a, an element or a thought that everyone understands what's happening. And then you realize eight months into the year that no one has capitalized on this kicker or this incremental way that they could have optimized their deals to make more money and be better for the business. And it makes you realize that, okay, now it's a little too late for us to do that education. So how do you maximize that feedback loop? Is there a different way that we should be thinking about it? Yeah. So, I mean, two things I would say, if I'm not answering your question directly, just let me know. But one thing I learned many years ago with one of mentor that I had at the time in SalesCom, he used to do something interesting. Every time he was presenting some sales comp information, so comp plans, anything, he would do the, you know, it's a simple trick, but like, hey, pay attention. I'm going to quiz you on this. There are prizes, right? That sort of approach of where he, he would actually would ask, you know, after he presented, okay, so, you know, options here, multiple choice. What is the right answer for this? Not with tough, not putting anybody on the spot. It's not like doing crazy math on the spot. Not, not, not like that, but just basic concepts or important concepts. And you would do that. And it's interesting because people would really pay attention, right? And not because the prize was a grand prize. It was just a silly recognition of sorts, but it's just the thing with the engagement. But that's, of course, proactive. You know, you are doing it and you have to uh, you prepare for it, right? But I think it's a good approach to not just do speak and ask for questions at the end. Make sure people are understanding. You notice how a lot of organizations have these mandatory training, right? You have to do compliance training, business conduct guidelines training. Everybody has to do that. There's always a quiz at the end, right? And the quiz usually is it's not hard, right? It's just more so that you're not just drifting through that and not paying attention. That That's really it. Have you internalized the main concepts? And I think that's something, a little trick that we, we can't implement as we explain and provide things. Now, you have another situation, which is things that arose throughout the year, and now you have to implement a new thing. And how are we going to know if how that that's received? And again, breaking out that into two pieces is, I think you, especially if it's a meaningful thing, material, you can establish a sentiment survey, a formal hey, I want to ask you specific questions. Please provide your candid feedback, anonymous feedback. We want to want to know what you think. That's one thing you can do. But I think the other thing, and this is this is hard because you can't do it all of a sudden. I can't just, okay, I'm just going to do, go do this now. It's having the trust so that people naturally come to you with their concerns. So that goes back to that being open and available to people. If you're just doing this, it's not going to happen in year one. But you have to build it, have to build it over time. And it may take two, three years, maybe. It depends. But people will naturally come to you. I just had a very recent example of that. You know, someone reached out to me today, actually, asking, can you tell me when we're going to start having formal conversations about SalesCom for next year? Because I have someone on my team with some great ideas. And I would love for that person to be heard. And say, great, yeah. Tell me who it is. You know, we will reach out. Absolutely. 
But the only way that happens is if people trust that. So comfortable. Yeah. Why would I send my colleague or someone who reports to me to go talk to someone else if I'm not really, know, you know, that's probably not going to do anything and waste their time. It only works when you build that trust. And I thought that was great because I'm going to look for people to talk to. And now I, well, I have one name now that I, sure, it's top of the list, yeah. right? And, but you only build that through time. So that's how I think you have to enhance. So it's unfortunate that you can't just go from a situation of mistrust and, okay, let's implement these three things and now everything works great because that's not how you build trust, right? It takes time. There's a, an element of time, but you have to get there. Otherwise, it's always going to be the... Talk to a few people. We incorporate some changes more based on what others want us to do than what the field is really thinking. And people are never going to be happy that way. I mean, it's interesting because in it is the ideal state because the types of questions will then inform you without even a quiz if the reps are understanding what the current plan is and how they get paid. And one thing that we've talked about a lot, and it's something that you still don't find many sales managers doing, the frontline managers is leveraging their comp plan as a sales performance tool in of itself, right? As a sales manager, you're of course tracking your reps against their quota, but rarely do I see sales managers sitting down with their reps, especially at the beginning of the year when the plans are rolled out and saying, let's go through your accounts. This is exactly how you should be thinking about it by account to maximize your comp outcomes for this year. And not just at the beginning, but then having that conversation constantly throughout the year based off the deals and the pipeline that come in and forcing that conversation to be had so that the reps understand where they're going to get paid, how they're going to get paid based off the outcome they're producing. And I think one of the major drivers is the fact that comp is a sensitive subject. No one wants to talk about money, and especially outside of that beginning of the year. And so you almost see the exact opposite happen. The sales manager wants to get that comp plan out as fast as possible and then never talk about it again. And almost does it a disservice because you ideally need to build, you want to have this trusted communication program and strategy with the sales organization, but you want to build up and train the sales managers to be able to have that type of communication with their team as well, all the way through. And so I'm curious to get your perspective on that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. No, that's a great point. You mentioned something that dear to my heart, which is said, how do they maximize their compliance? So that's what I want to train the managers to be able to help their teams with is, is not only how do I make my number, but how do I maximize the comp plan? Because the comp plan is designed, right? Intentionally designed to be a tie-in to the company strategy. If everybody maximizes the comp plan, we are executing on our strategy, right? That's the ideal. And I want them to be able to help them to maximize it. And I think these days, what I've seen is a lot more use of analytics and dashboards and things of that sort, which also aren't, because it's not enough for someone like me train a sales manager to be super, you know, just completely conversant in the plan. Like they know all the details of the plan, but they need some tools, right? And I think that's that. That's another thing. So we have seen uh, over the years, the rise of more analytics, more dashboards, more tools where managers can use to have those conversations. And when we don't have those tools, I am the first one to say, let's build them, right? Even if it's a manual thing, they have to have those analytics in place so that they can have those conversations and show people not only how to make their number, but of all components that they have in their plan, again, to maximize those, where they should focus and help them get there. 
right? And I know you guys at Forma do a great job because uh, I've seen the product right with dashboards. And I, I think that's amazing, right? That's the direction. That's the support that, that sales leaders need in order to be able to do that. We, we can do it through other ways as well, like I mentioned, right? Sometimes it's just a manual type of thing, but they have to be provided the analytics, not just the soft talk of understanding the comp plan, but being able to walk people through how they maximize their pain, how they make money and how they fulfill the strategy around the comp plan. Yeah. And the ideal state is when the reps can game the comp plan to get their desired outcome actually produces the result that we want for the business. And in that situation, it's a win-win for everyone back to kind of the the point on creating that win-win communication strategy. So, you know, just stepping back and thinking about the audience of the podcast in other sales comp leaders that I think looking to build that communication process and communication program that you're discussing, what's one thing that you think as a, to kind of start or ensure that you get right that's going to have a, you know, a really big impact to these organizations and these leaders as they go about doing that? What's one thing that they should be thinking about? I think the most important thing is really, as simple as it sounds, is to start. Start. It doesn't have to be perfect but it needs to be done right. You can't have room for doubt or the feeling there of mistrust. That's the, the one thing you have to do. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be a grand program, but it just have to make sure you create the trust. And, and that's not that hard. It, t- it takes work, but it's not a hard concept to grasp. So when I say just start, what I mean is, A lot of times we're not doing anything. It's just the basics. Here it is. If you have any questions, just let me know, right? That's standard basic approach to deployment. If you say, when I say start is, okay, do something else. Do more. Create an an ask me anything session. Get three or four people who can help you answer those questions and go. You don't have to have all the answers. You probably won't. But what you cannot do is have that session and you know, let's say we don't know an answer to a certain topic and that's it, right? You have to establish the trust of, okay, I'm going to get back to you. Because then we go back to what we were saying. Oh, an ask me anything session. That's a great thing. Yeah. But I go to the sales rep might be saying, well, I went to one of those, asked a couple of questions, didn't have any answers, never got back to me. Why am I going to waste my time going to that thing? Yeah. So just start, right? And make sure you are open and available. Attitude is a lot more important than being 100% accurate all the time, people will respond well, even if you make a mistake or or explain something not 100% right, but you show willingness to go and correct and look for the right information or get the right folks involved, they're going to take that very well, right? More so than if you're just just there, just putting up a show, right? And just kind of talking through, but you're not really interested in helping them out. So just start, just start, make sure you are open and you hone, you're going to hone in that as you go, right? That's going to get better. You're going to start to see, okay, this could have been done better. Here are areas where we should focus on. But I would say, think of something you do not do today, like an Ask Me Anything session, like uh, an extra uh, level of communication, like a certain group of people you don't really interact much with when it comes to communicating, and do it, right? Do it. Don't be afraid to be imperfect. Be concerned about not being responsive. You have to be responsive, and it'll get better over time. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's a, is a great place to start. And we'll then, I imagine, especially if you're starting at the very beginning, just starting and getting going, creating that feedback loop and that trust built up 
will then lead to further and further things that can be used to build up a fully baked communication program. But um, I do think completing the feedback loop with a strong communication program is is very, very, very powerful. And so, yeah, I think, Leo, everything you've covered today, there's so much power and leverage that as a sales comp leader in a large organization, you can bring to, to improve the way that you execute if you're able to kind of create that cohesive relationship from sales, HR, finance, and leverage a, a contiguous communication program to bring all stakeholders aligned to that ultimately what is a never-ending journey of optimizing and improving the sales comp process. So thank you for sharing everything you did today with us. I think, you know, before we wrap up, I'd like to ask two questions. First question is, who in the world of sales comp would you most like to take out to lunch? So my answer to that would be someone who you wouldn't normally think as sales comp, and it's definitely not a sales comp person, but the work they've done, they do applies so very much to how to execute sales comp well. And that would be Stephen M. R. Covey. He's the son of the late Stephen R. Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So Stephen M. R. Covey, his, his son, is one of the experts on the topic of trust. So he's written a couple or two or three books about, about trust. I'm actually reading one of them right now. He's very famous for the, the book called The Speed of Trust. He essentially teaches how to build trust and why trust is so important and how trust brings more speed. It's a currency, really, right? And you have to protect it with all costs uh, once you get it, right? And I think that applies so very much to sales comp because it's all about that, right? It's it's, it's established. The, the whole communication conversation we just had was never going to work if you don't establish that trust. So that's something that somebody I would love to pick their brain and kind of understand real situations where he could maybe help me get, get some ideas on how to enhance that trust and how to better leverage that trust that we already built and go, you know, even, even further would be someone I think would provide valuable insights for, for sales comp. Yeah, I agree. Especially based on everything we discussed today. I think it's at the core of, we deal with a very sensitive and mission critical part of the business and having that trust is critical. And so I guess, the second question, which may be tied to the first here, but what's one book that you'd recommend for sales comp professionals? Okay. So I touched on the trust piece, right? I, and I certainly could recommend all of his books because it will address the topic of trust, but actually have a different one for you today. Again, a book from a non-sales comp person. It's a consultant. His name is Brian Tracy. He's actually a fellow Canadian. And uh, I don't know how, how popular he is these days. I know he was very popular a few years ago, or maybe a couple of decades ago, he's very known for the topic of time management, sales as well, sales excellence, and a host of other things. But he has a book, probably not very well known. And I love books that aren't very well known, by the way, because sometimes I find gems there that you know can help me learn something that most people aren't aware of because they're not well-known books. But he talks about, the, the name of the book is No Excuses. No Excuses by Brian Tracy. It's a book that essentially talks about self-discipline and how self-discipline just helps you be an overall better person in your career, personal life, everything, right? You know, it also talks about trust too, uh, how uh, self-discipline is, you know, if you're a self-disciplined person and consistent, right, that generates trust as well. So it's a fantastic book. Uh, again, he doesn't mention sales comp in the book, 
but he's he put some very good um, perspectives on on the importance of self discipline and how to gain that self discipline that sometimes is hard, right? So you against yourself, right? There's no one else. Self discipline is all about how you make decisions and follow through, and it's your decisions, not anybody else's. So great book, not very well known. It's an easy read. You finish that book feeling you can conquer the world. So I'll I'll just say that. Yeah. Again, I think the element of trust and self-discipline go hand in hand, especially in the world of sales comp. Like everything is about being proactive and preparing well in advance. And it's about doing all that hard work before. So you don't have you have to do less of the hard work after. No, again, Leo, I just really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for for jumping on today and and I, you know, sharing your experience and your thoughts with with every other sales comp professional that's listening in. Yeah, thanks, Leo. It was a pleasure talking to you today. The Sales Competition Show is brought to you by Forma AI, the first sales competition platform designed around the agile methodology of comp ops. To learn more about how Forma AI can help design, execute, and optimize your sales comp strategy, visit Forma.ai. Find us by searching for Sales Competition on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thanks for listening.